once again, good morning, Motion City Church. That's just an awkward but funny video, I think. But, uh, but we are in uh, part two of a series that we started last week uh, called Static, Hearing God's Voice Through the Noise. And, uh, and, and so excited about what I believe God wants to say today and what he wants to say over the next four weeks. But something super cool is happening today across the United States. Uh, we as Motion City Church, we are a part of a group uh, called the CMN, the Church Multiplication Network. And uh, September 17th, which is today, has been designated as uh, Church Plant Sunday. National Church Planting Day is today. And we are so excited as, as Motion City Church being a part. And again, like Jen said, part of your giving goes into the CMN for us to be a part of planting uh, life-giving, spirit-filled, faith-filled churches. And so I just want to put up a quick stat that in the month of September... There are 90 new CMN churches launching across the United States, and 70 of them are happening today. And so we are so excited about being a part of a church multiplication movement, and, and one that, I mean, all across the country, but we have one specifically happening in St. Paul, in Dayton's Bluff. I'm not sure if you were here when uh, our friend Carl Johnson was here. Uh, he and his wife Melanie and their son Keegan are starting a, an amazing church that deals with, uh, that's b- built around the dinner table, and they are starting today. And so, Carl, if you listen to this, we love you, but I just want to do something real quick before we jump into the, the message, because I'm going to warp speed through this stuff. But would you just join me real quick, and can we just pray uh, for the 70 churches, new churches that are beginning today, and the 90 churches that are begin- going to be beginning this month, and specifically for Carl and Melanie uh, over in St. Paul. So Heavenly Father, we are so grateful God, that when you called us to follow you, you called us to so much more than simply living a life of spectatorship to the things that you are doing. God, you called us to be in partnership with you on your mission to reach this world for the glory and fame of Jesus. And God, I am so excited. I am so blessed. I am so grateful to be a part of a movement like CMN where we are seeing 90 churches planted this month, 70 today. God, would you do something so spectacular and so miraculous, not simply today, but for the remainder of September, God, that we would see hundreds of thousands of people come into a a relationship with you, God, that their lives would be transformed, Jesus, because of what you've done for us. And God, we pray specifically this morning for Carl and Melanie and Keegan as they're over in Dayton's Bluff in St. Paul. God, would you just do something so incredible in the St. Paul community, God, that just there be no other explanation other than, God, you're up to something spectacular. So, God, we pray a blessing over these churches. We pray your favor over these churches. God, would we continue to see, God, would next year, next year would it be 180? And the year after that, double whatever 180 times two is, because I'm not good at math, and you know that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, I'm so excited about that. So we are in week two of the series, like I said, Static. We kicked it off last week, kind of talking, uh, kind of laying a foundation for where we're going to go over the next couple of weeks. And just as a quick point of review, one of the things that we looked at really heavily last week was this, and I'm going to put it up, we're going to put it up on the screen. And it says, it, it was kind of this idea, it's whomever's presence you're in closest proximity to is the voice that you'll hear the clearest. 
Whomever's presence you're in closest proximity to is the voice that you will hear the clearest. And we, I, have determined that if we desire to hear God's voice through all the static and through all the noise that goes on in this life, then we have to be in closest proximity to him. And we use the same analogy that Jesus used in John chapter 10, verse 27, that sheep know the voice of their shepherd and that the shepherd knows his sheep. And in order to know God's voice through the noise, we have to be in closest proximity to him. If we are, whatever we're in closest proximity, and here's the deal, man. This is something that I was thinking about this week. Sometimes we don't want to hear God's voice through the noise. We're just used to hearing other sheep. We're more comfortable hearing the voice of other sheep that we, we, we don't even want to hear the voice of the shepherd because, man, the voice of the shepherd calls us to follow him. I'm more comfortable sometimes just following the group than I am following the shepherd. And so we want to be in closest proximity to God. Wouldn't it be so amazing if that was all that it took for me to just say, okay, be in closest proximity to the shepherd, go. Like, wouldn't it be just so amazing if life was just that simple? If all we had to do was just say, okay, we have to be in close proximity to God, so therefore everything in life is going to get moved out of the way, and now I am in closest proximity to God so I can hear God's voice better done. I'm in. I would love that, but that's not real life. That's not the life that I live because the life that I live is a life that is filled with static, life that is filled with voices. And if I'm being honest, the static that I deal with most often isn't static that comes from outside. But most of it is static that comes from inside my own head. And as I was studying for this message, I came across this quote from author, speaker, and activist Lynn Twist, and she says this, and I felt like she was writing this to me, and she says, before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor... We already feel inadequate. We're already behind, already losing, already lacking something that makes us feel insecure. Aren't you glad you woke up for church this morning to come to hear that? Man, welcome to Motion City where we are just a bummer. No, but honestly, I remember reading that and be like, she descri- she's describing me. I haven't even talked to somebody and as I wake up and pull my head off the pillow, man, I, there's just ten, there's times, more times where all of a sudden the static in my brain picks up where I left off and I feel like I'm behind every day. Although I am a Christian, although I pray and read the Bible almost every day, even though I know that I am a child of the Most High God and I am empowered by His Holy Spirit, every day I wake up to static in my own head that, if I'm being honest, never goes away. Virtually every day I deal with voices and static in my own head that goes something like this. I'm going to put my thoughts up on the screen, so judge me all you want, whatever. Steve, you are not good enough, smart enough, talented enough, or capable enough to do the things that you're doing. Steve, you are one bad message or one bad leadership decision away from total and complete failure. Look on Instagram, Steve. There are so many more people doing the things that you're doing so much better than you're doing them or could ever hope to do. Why are you even trying? Steve, if people really knew how below average you were, they would never listen to another word you ever said. 
And as I've started seeing a counselor, honestly, over the past six weeks, uh, one of the things that I'm learning about myself is that I live my life with a very low-grade level of anxiety every day that every once in a while spikes to either flat-out fear or plummets me into just soul-crushing depression. And for some of you, that may seem like a surprise because in moments where I'm like this, I'm very confident. With a mic in my hand, you can put me in front of 10,000 people and I'm so comfortable. But put me in a room with my own thoughts and I'm terrified. So for the 25 or 30 minutes that I'm up here, the things that I just shared may seem very surprising because I'm very secure, I'm very confident with a, with a mic in my hand, but I deal with constant static every day that very rarely ever goes away. And here's the thing that's so crazy about all of this in my life, and that's this, and I'm going to put this thought up on the screen. The thing that makes me the most insecure is oftentimes what I'm best at. And I'm not sure if that's the way it is with you, but I get so insecure when it comes to doing what I'm doing right now, teaching and preaching. What I'm typically known for is the thing that causes me the most sleepless nights, the most anxiety, the most insecurity... But enough about me, how about you? What causes you to feel the most insecure? Is it not doing well in school? Is it a relationship that you're in or a relationship that you wish you were in? Is it being a good mom or a good dad? And on the outside, maybe for you, man, I was thinking about this, you're like the model parent. But inside, you are a total insecure wreck because the thought that continues to creep in is, man, everyone looks at me like I've got everything going on, but what happens if the kids don't turn out right? Is it your job? Does your job make you feel most insecure? Is it being a husband or or being a wife? I know for me, that's a huge insecurity, being a good husband. what What makes you feel the most insecure? insecure. And oftentimes, it's what you're best at, because here's what can happen, and this is what happens in life, whether you're, and we've got some, and and I'm seeing, uh, some, uh, Andrew over there, and I saw Nathan and Elena, and and, and you guys are phenomenal musicians, and and so I was going to use one of you as an example, but I'm going to use all three of you, um, because you're there, and I can, and I've got the mic, and I'm confident, and, uh, but, uh, but, this is what can happen. Man, you can be a good uh, musician. You can be a good teacher. You can be a good social worker, accountant, administrative person. You can fill in the blank, but let's just use those three as musicians. And people start expecting you guys to be as good or better than you were the last time. And then all of a sudden, what's going to happen is these expectations become, to be, become unrealistic from where we may be at at times. And here's the deal. What if you're not as good? the next time as you were the last time? What if everyone saw you at your best and everything else was downhill? What happens if you fall short or you make a mistake or whatever, you never actually reach that next level because the expectations have been set so high that even on your greatest day, you'd never be able to reach them. And because you realize, man, I'm never going to be maybe as good as the expectations have been set out before me, you begin to get insecure. Now, sometimes it's not what you're best at. As I was studying for this message, one statistic that I found that that popped right out to me because I live with three women, emotional, opinionated women, uh, this this was the one that that popped out to me that, that honestly, I had to like 
close out everything and really kind of center my brain around this. But this is a statistic, a fact that I found online. And it says this, that the average woman has 13 to 17 negative thoughts about their body every day. The average man doesn't have 13 to 17 thoughts about anything. And he has his other issues, but women typically are constantly insecure about their appearance. And I think about that with the three women that I live with, the insecurities that they're facing simply because they're, they're women. Maybe, it's, maybe for you it's your upbringing. Maybe it's a string of bad relationships. Maybe it's a poor financial decision that you just seem to can't, you can't shake it. Maybe it's a difficult past, and I don't know what it is for you, but I know for me that the static in my head never goes away. It never stops. And maybe as I'm saying this, for you it's a relief. Maybe for you in this moment you're like, everyone's just as crazy as I am. This is perfect. The playing field is even. And maybe for you, you're like, gosh, I am just as crazy as everybody else. Like, this is awful. But no matter how good or how godly you are, insecurity is something that most of us deal with every day. And as I was studying for this message, uh, I came across Psalm chapter 55. If you have a Bible or a a smartphone, however you read the Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Psalm 55. Psalm 55 is a great chapter of scripture. I'd encourage you, man, take time this week and read it. And Psalm 55 is written by one of the most capable men that ever lived, David. And and if you don't know David, David is the man. When David was young, he he was fearless. David, by himself, guarding sheep, fought off a bear and fought off a lion, and then after that, volunteered to fight an enemy giant who was not only mocking the armies of Israel, but was mocking the God of Israel, and teenage, fearless David volunteers to fight him, goes up to King Saul, and with all seriousness says, I can defeat that guy. And then Saul, taking one look at David, dismisses him because he doesn't look like a soldier, because he's so young, because he's so small in stature. But David looked King Saul in the eye as determined as ever and said this passage. I love this passage in 1 Samuel 17, 26. He says, who, you can just kind of sense some teenage, whatever this is, you can just sense it, moxie. But He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then in verse 37, David is so confident that he declares to King Saul, the Lord will rescue me from this man. I mean, don't you just love that? Don't you just wish you could live with that confidence every day? Man, David wasn't dealing with the static that maybe he dealt with later in life, but he knew who he was because he knew who God is. And his confidence was because of God. And as as David grew, he became such a skilled warrior in battle that when people, when armies would would come back to their, their towns or villages, people would line the streets and they would chant things and they would chant things like this. They they would say things like Saul, King Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And at one time, David is the most powerful man on the planet. But look at what he writes in Psalm 55, starting in verse 1. And this is what it says. He says, Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me, my 
thoughts trouble me, and I'm distraught. It's David's thoughts that are troubling him. They're static, beginning to build up within his mind and with his heart. And where do these come from? Continuing in verse 3, it says this. It says, at the voices of the enemy, at the stairs of the wicked. For they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. David's got static in his head, he's got static in his heart, and he's become afraid for two reasons. Can we put that verse back up there real quick, Sarah? Uh, he's, for two reasons. Number one is that people are talking about him. And two, they're looking at him. And as I was amazed at this portion of Scripture, I began to ask myself, since when is David afraid? I mean, has David forgotten that he's Braveheart? That he's the William Wallace that William Wallace tries to be? That he's Braveheart? That has he forgotten that he's a warrior? Has he forgotten that he is a general? Has he forgotten that God has guided and guarded his life for his entire life? Has he forgotten that he is the most respected, feared, powerful, influential man on the planet? Yeah. It's exactly what's happened. David's simply forgotten. He's forgotten about who God is, and because he's forgotten about who God is, he's forgotten about who he is, simply because people are talking about him and staring at him. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really actually really embarrassing to admit this, but I'm not much different than David. People don't actually have to even be talking about me. If I think you're talking about me, like, I turn into, like, a puddle of mush. Like, just an a, a embarrassing puddle of three-year-old and grown man's body. Like, it's just, it's just really embarrassing. And when I think that people are talking about me, it is so easy for me, guys. It is so easy for me to lose sight of what God says about me. The static in my head goes completely nuts, and everything that happens around me is a self-fulfilling prophecy to my feelings, because if I think you're talking about me, and I think you're staring at me, and all of a sudden you walk by and you don't look at me, it's like, well, I knew that! I knew they didn't look at me. They must be talking about me. They hate me. They're going to go to a different church. They're going to do something this. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. It's over. I quit. I'm moving to North Dakota. And not the populated part of North Dakota. Every other part of North Dakota, because I'm pretty sure there's just one populated place. I don't know that for a fact. So... If you know someone in North Dakota, I will gladly take... Oh, Danelle, shoot. <laughs> Great, now Danelle's going to be talking about me. She's going to be looking at me because I'm insulting her, and she's going to be gone. This is off! No. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but sometimes I allow my feelings to dictate my truth. And I know I've said this over and over and over again, but feelings are liars. You can't trust them because they're fickle their feelings. And I think maybe I'm not the only person this morning who's dealt with something like that. I was thinking last night at like four in the morning as I woke up sitting on my couch and my computer in my lap realizing that I had some end up just in this panic 
of like, oh no. Um, it's like the day, like the, you wake up the morning, the science projects do, and you've done nothing, and you're just panicked. That was me at four in the morning when I woke up and the Magnificent Seven was ending on the TV and I had written nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those moments. I, remember, I don't know why this popped up, but as I was thinking about this message, I remember this one time when we were picking Taylor up from first grade, my oldest. And Jen and Addie and I, we, we would oftentimes go and pick her up together because Addie wants to be older than she is and she loves going into big kid school. And it's like a 45-minute challenge to pull her out of big kid school. And there's tears and there's crying. It's, it's, it's really torture, but we keep doing it anyway. We need to learn. But... um. But we went and picked her up from school, and as we were walking across the street, we would ask Taylor a question that we ask her every day, and we ask her this question, and said, Taylor, how was your day? And the final door closed on our car, and Taylor explodes into tears. She explodes, and we were so confused, and we were so concerned, and, I'm, and, and my dad brain is like, if someone hit her, if someone took something from her, there's going to be a new speed bump at this elementary school because someone is dying. Like, that is like my thought. Like, I don't care. It could be a kindergartner or a fifth grader or a teacher, but blood must be spilt. Like, it was one of those moments. (laughs) And we were just, Jen's a little bit better at this than I am, but, uh, but she's Taylor, what is, and we could not, and, and, and we were just, and through the sobs, we finally were able to make out something that was causing all of this emotion. And she said, a girl in my class called me yucky. And I did everything inside of my body to not laugh. Because I'm thinking, baby, this is a first grader. Like, who is she? She's a turd. That's who she is. Like, do you know who you are? You're Taylor freaking Nylon. Who's this nonsensical lunatic calling you yuck? But here, but, he, but here was the reality of the situation. All it took was a first grader to say Taylor was yucky, and the static kicked in. And it's amazing how difficult it is to hear God's voice of the static when you're in that moment. And so David thinks that people are talking about him and looking at him weird. And his response is honestly incredibly typical and it's very familiar. At least it is for me. I'm just going to speak for me. I'm not going to speak for every single one of you, but it is for me. And, this, and he wants to do three things. He wants to do, what he wants to do is he wants to escape. He wants to isolate. And he wants to disengage. And look at what David says in verse 6 of Psalm 55. He says this. He says, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Isn't it easy for our first thought when insecurity sets in is if we can just escape. If we can just find a new place to be, everything would be better. Then in verse 7, David says this. He says, I would flee far away and I would stay in the desert. What lives in the desert? Nothing. At least back then. I don't know about now. 
not a frequent desert visitor. But David wants to isolate. He wants to flee far, and he wants to stay in the desert. And then he says, in verse 8, he says this, I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. David wants to escape. He wants to isolate himself, and he wants to disengage. And guys, this is so familiar. Because I know for me, when, my, when I start to feel insecure, I fall into these three categories. I want to avoid problems and circumstances and the situations that I'm dealing with. But when, when circumstances come and when all we do is escape, isolate, and, gate, and, and disengage, guess what? If you're a student, then you don't graduate. You don't graduate if this is your MO. Because, and then if you don't graduate, then you're not going to get a great job because jobs are difficult and when difficulty and insecurity comes and this is what you know, then you're never going to have a a fulfilling job. You're never going to have a career and then you won't be able to have any type of meaningful relationship. You're probably never going to get married because, man, marriage is difficult. You can be married for five minutes and find out it's difficult. But, But if all we do is escape, isolate, and disengage, we will never become better than anything. And we will never fulfill the purposes that God has created us for. And so if I could, I want to give you a few, two things that we need to do to begin, to, uh, when we begin to feel insecurity creep into our lives, just a few things, two things. And number one is this, we need to put a higher value on what God says about you than what, you need to put a higher value on what God says about you than what people say about you. As I was talking to, to, to Nate this week at dance, at dance class on Saturday, I was saying, because um, what, we're men, we go to dance class. We don't dance, our kids go to dance class. But we're dads and we're there. Um, but we were just chatting and, and everything. And I was explaining this message and I was like, man, it is so funny given the weekend we had last weekend where no technology worked and everything was a disaster. Man, my week, I was an insecure nut job. Like, for real, like, I, and, I, and I told them, I, and I just started laughing. I was like, of course I'm going to be talking about insecurity today with the week that I had. But here's the deal, guys. Like, I am so quick to place higher value on what people say about me than what God says about me. So quick, and it's so easy to do. And you may be here this morning, and, may, and you may be asking, how do I know what God says about me? Like you've said this numerous times, maybe not just today, but maybe in weeks and months past. How do I know what God says about me? And so in, 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 in perfect pol- political form, let me, let me answer that question by asking you this. How close in proximity are you right now to God? How close in proximity are you to God? Because I guarantee you, The closer in proximity, the easier time you'll have to hear what he says about you. But if you're wondering why he isn't saying anything to you, check your proximity. Placing a higher value on what God says than what people say. And if I could just give you four things that God says about you this morning, they're this. God knows you and has a purpose for your life. God knows you and he has a purpose for for your life. Just write down the reference, Jeremiah 1.5. But Erwin McManus is one of my favorite pastors and authors. I was reading, and he said this, and I love this quote. He says, it's astounding to know that you and I were an idea in God's mind before we were an embryo in our mother's womb. You were, I love this, you were formed in the mind of God, designed by the hand of God, and created in the image of God. 
I love that. There is nothing about you that God has not planned for, and there is nothing about you that is a mistake. Man, there are moments, guys, where all I see are the things that I wish were better. Whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whether it's personality, because I got a laundry list of those, my wife will tell you. But personality, but here's the thing, here's what I figured out, and this was, this was amazing, as I was looking at Jeremiah uh, chapter 1-5, and I was reading this quote from Ern McManus, here's, here's what I know. When God created you, there was nothing about you that God was trying to get to know in the process. Like, I'm trying to get to know my seven-year-old and my three-year-old. I'm getting to know them. But God knew everything about them before they were even created. Therefore, Taylor and Addison and Steve and Justin and Kate and Bree and Tiff and Ian and Nate and Amanda and Kelly like Kelly and Blake and Sarah and Jacob and Jessica and Jamie and Christine and Michael and Melissa and Andrew and Mike way back there and my man Ian the drummer and then we and all y'all over there. Here's the deal. You are the perfect reflection of God. Man, God knows you and has a purpose for you. Number two is this, God is for you. God is for you, Romans 8, 31. There is something that happens when big brother shows up on the scene where little brother is being picked on. I'm, being, I'm the big brother, and there were moments where my brother, when he would get picked on, all I had to do was be in the vicinity of those friends. And it was like, all of a sudden, my brother had eight best friends, when before he had eight accusers and name-callers. Because they know that I'm the only one that gets to mess with Matt. But I, at 34, and him being 31 now, I am for my brother. God is for you. He stands with you. He walks with you through the difficulties of life. God is for you, and you are loved. Number three, you are loved, Romans 8, 39. What a game changer when we discover love. What a game changer when we receive authentic and real love for the first time and God creates us with this capacity to love because God's a God who has capacity to love. God loves you and he is for you and he knows the plans and purposes for your life. And number four is this, thing, and this is the one that everyone usually in youth group disagreed with me on and maybe you maybe didn't grow out of youth group and maybe and you're like, no, that's not me. But number four is this, you have gifts and abilities. You have gifts and abilities. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 6, just the first part says, we all have different gifts according to the grace that God has given to each of us. Man, we need to place a higher value on what God says about us than what others say about us. And so I've given you these four things, and what do we do with it? Then number two, what we have to do with it is we have to repeat God's truth about yourself every morning, every noon, and every night. Look at verses 16 and 17 of Psalm 55. It says this. David says, But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out, sorry, in distress, and he hears my voice. Psalm 119, verse 97 says this. Oh, how I love your instructions. 
It's amazing that a man wrote that verse because we never like instructions. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> no one's going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> Thanks, James. Pretty good. Uh, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Why do you and I need to repeat God's truth to ourselves so often? Because all day there are voices and static trying to speak things into you that would take your eyes and your heart and, and your focus and your attention off of God, off of who God says you are, off of what God has called you to do, because the static never goes away. And in order to get, uh, in order to better hear God's voice, we have to at times repeat God's truth to ourselves. Sometimes we have to speak things to ourselves that we don't believe. So in the process of saying it, we begin to believe it because here's the thing. You can't say enough good things about yourself, but God could speak good things about you for eternity. But here's the difficulty. There's a world out there. And difficulty and static and struggle are all a part of it. And I'm not saying that by simply hearing what I'm saying this morning that it's going to solve all your problems. But what I am saying that if you begin to put these things into practice you will begin to grow in confidence of who God is and what he says about you. And as you take these steps of growing in confidence, you'll be taking steps in security as well. And so I want to end this service. Thanks for hanging with me, guys. I want to end this service this morning just with a very quick story. There was a, there was a tourist from America who was visiting London years and years and years ago, and, and he was exploring all of, like the touristy things before they were touristy and he was taking pictures and he was just experiencing all the history and all the life that London had to offer and in the process of one of, in, in process of one of his journeys he came across two little girls who were kind of playing on a sidewalk and they were just having a wonderful wonderful time and far off in the distance not too far but but far enough there were these very stern looking gentlemen very official-looking guys. And all of a sudden, the man begins to make conversation, and he, he asks the girls a very simple question. He looks at the girls, and he goes, well, hello, girls. Well, and who might you be? And one of the girls looks up, and as matter-of-factly and as sweetly as she could say, she goes, oh, sir, we're nobody. But our father's the king. And what that man didn't know before the conversation, but what he definitely knew, knew then was that he was in discussion with Princess Margaret and Princess Elizabeth, Princess Elizabeth, soon to be Queen of England. And let me end this message with this. When your father's a king, you're not nobody. Father, I thank you God, I thank you that you promised to never leave us, never to forsake us. I thank you that you promised to walk with us through all that life has to offer. And God, for those of us who deal with insecurity, God, whether we've dealt with it momentarily or whether we've dealt with it for most of our lives, Father, I ask 
Father, that we would begin to put these things into practice, that we would begin to place a higher value on who you say that we are than other people say that we are. And God, would you allow us to get into the habit of speaking not simply truths about us, but would we begin to speak your truths over us? And God, in order to speak your truth over us, we have to get into the book that you wrote because you say very specific things about the way that you see us. And so, God, would this allow us, would our insecurities allow us to move into closer proximity to you so that we could hear you better, that we could experience relationship with you better? And, God, not to say that moments of insecurity won't come, but, God, when they do, Father, would you help us to push through the static and to get to the truth of the matter? Because, God, you are the truth of the matter. It's your name,